Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. State of Mind Studios, I'm Paul John Dykes, I'm joined by my comrades Russell Boyce and Kevin Graham. We are setting up a new show tonight, it's called The Oasis Album Club, where we will listen to every single Oasis album, one at a time, one tonight, it's definitely maybe before we press play on that, we'll give you the chance to get involved, press play as well, go live and get involved in the discussion it's a, a listening party. Russell Boyce, before we get started, what did this album mean to you? Definitely, maybe. Probably a wee bit different from what it meant to you guys, because I'm obviously that bit younger and better looking. But the thing is with the album was, it is one of the albums that defined for me, you know, the, the, the earphone era of my life, where like when I you know, first got like my first ever personal CD player or mini-disc player, and this is the album that put the swagger in Boyce as he walked up to the school bus stop or whatever it was. Nothing particularly cool, but it was an album that, when I first heard it, it was music that did something different to me than what any other music had. And I think that has always stayed with me. And I've got a lot to be grateful to definitely be maybe for, including this haircut. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Kevin, it's a wee bit different for us. We're from the same era. I remember the album coming out. I was into the band before the album. This will all come through when we're doing the track by track. Um, what I'll always go back to is that if there are kids in a place like Fife swaggering about like a penguin, <laughs> calling their wee brothers our kid, you know there's something going on. You know there's a cultural movement and you know that Oasis were spearheading that in 1994, weren't they? Definitely. Like... For guys our age, Paul, there was a gap that the Roses left. There was a massive gap. The Mondays had blew up by this point. The Roses had disappeared. 
and all of a sudden you've got this band who all their lineage to their two bands actually appear. And it was at the height of, we are going to speak about Britpop and that as well, but they were a smash in the face. Mm. They were really just a smash in the face to the British guitar music establishment. And that still resonates till today. What they done will never be repeated. And it can't be repeated. It's pre-internet age. And it's, for me, this album just reminds me, I used to work uh, at the end of the rap work. And I used to get the bus to Cowan Street for those that know Stirling. So I used to put this on and walk from Cowan Street to the end of the rap work. Uh, every single day for like well over a year I'd done this. Eh? And just as hearing them on Radio 1 for the first time, you're like, what's that? You had never heard anything mm-hmm. like it. Obviously, as time goes by, you do realise there are cultural touchstones that are, that, that are there. And you go back and learn about that, but at the time when you're when you're nineteen, uh, twenty, you don't you, you don't know much about the Beatles at that point because the Beatles Oasis made the Beatles cool again, really. Uh, the Beatles were love me do and all that. that your your mom and your auntie played at Christmas time, <laughs> and, and, and it, it wasn't it wasn't until these guys come along and actually start like bigging up these touchstones. You go, wait a minute, I'm going to revisit them, eh? So I've got a lot to be thankful with the Gallagher brothers for. A lot to be thankful. and But looking back, it's been quite interesting. I also think, see, with this album, I know what you mean because it was like different generations, but I also think when kids are hearing it for the first time now, that's why you've seen such a resurgence in Liam Gallagher's career. Mm. Because when you contrast and compare it to chart music right now or a Radio 1 playlist right now where you've got... I think the Blossoms were celebrating the other week, you know, quite a good band, celebrating actually getting included on the Radio 1 playlist because it was that hard a fight for them. So if you think how far removed chart music and pop music is right now, when kids are first hearing definitely maybe, they're getting that same sort of vibe almost that they were maybe getting. I can't speak about the cultural terms because I wasn't, you know, old enough at that time, but I think musically... It is giving that same shot in the arm to kids now when they're hearing it. That's what they got probably in 1994. You, you know what blows my mind, right? <clears throat> See, in the 90s, where we were speaking about the Beatles in the 60s, 30 years, that gap, that generational gap, we are now going to experience <laughs> that gap. And kids listening to Oasis, it's probably going to be the same experience as us listening back to, let's say, Rubber Soul or Revolver or, or Abbey Road. Um, Kevin, before we press play... You want to say anything else before we press play on? Definitely, maybe? No, fire it up. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Listen, we didn't advertise this, but we will be doing it every single Wednesday night. We're starting off with the first album. We're going to work through the entire back catalogue of Oasis, uh, Liam and Noel, and we're going to start with Definitely, maybe. If you want to get involved, I'm going to press play in three seconds. Two, one, play. And there we go. First track, Rock and Roll Star. And uh, I remember hearing this for the first time and thinking to myself that, you know, here's a couple of guys who are writing songs about being a rock and roll star uh, at a time when they're not rock and roll stars. So it's all about escapism. And I think that's a theme of the album, Russell. Mm, I agree with that to an extent. I mean, for me, it's another thing as well. It was, to me, it was about having the confidence. See, when I was going out and stuff when I was young, this is the track that I would play whilst I put on... I remember drinking, like, you know, down the park and all that when you were younger, and I would wear like a charity shop blazer, long multicoloured, like sort of thin scarf, like maybe a later Oasis era trying to rec- replicate, but the actual style I was getting it from was this song. It was this song that was giving me the, the cojones to go out and, 
you know, with uh, maybe a lot of people in Sergio Tashini, shall we say, you know? And then I'd be dressed completely different and far removed. And this song would be the soundtrack of me getting ready in my bedroom doing that and giving me the confidence to do it. If you That's ever stood in front of a mirror and sang this song, a million times, I mate. bet there's a lot of people out there who have done An hour ago. Exactly, exactly <laughs> the same. Here's a thing that I was listening to, right? I'm not sure if he says this, right? I'm not sure if Liam says this, but potentially at one point he changes the lyrics to Lennon said I should feed my head. That to me was just a day in bed. I always hear that as Lennon said, right? So I don't know if he's <laughs> dropped that in or if I'm just hearing things knowing that he's obsessed with, with John Lennon. So Kevin, as, a, as a, an opener to an Oasis album, how highly do you rate this? It's up there with one of the greatest opening tracks of all time. It's up there with, um, never mind, by the, by the Sex Pistols as well. It's a punk rock punch in the face. But you're saying rock and roll star, eh? Just the same sentiment as I want to be adored. Mm-hmm. It's just that right away, we're, going, we're telling you that this is what we want to be. We want it to be big. We want to be massive. Mm-hmm. And like the whole lyrical, the whole lyrical theme in this Five minute, twenty three settings. Lennon says, <laughs> "I'm telling you, he sings it." The, the whole lyrical theme in this five minute, twenty three settings sums up a lot of the themes during the album. And I, I only think, thinking back about this, I only heard this song when I bought this album. I hadn't heard this rock and roll star before I placed play, play on this album, which is quite weird because I'd heard the majority of the album yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. Before this, mm-hmm. and when you look back, I mean, the song was on the live demonstration tapes two years ago. But when you heard them on Radio One, when they done stuff, they never they never played this. It wasn't in their set when I saw them at the Cat House. So it's I, I really do the way my memory's going now. I reckon the first time I heard this song was when I actually bought the album Place Play. It was the first time they ever played an encore at uh, Nagoya in Japan in September 1994. This was the encore. I was saying to Russell before we came through here as well, Noel Gallagher had been on the dole for 15 years. He had worked as a roadie for the Inspiral Carpets for a couple of years. Liam has always been a rock and roll star. So he leaves the school at 15 with no qualifications. He gets a job in a garden centre jacks it because they ask him to clean the toilets right and then he's Mm -hmm. on the dole so his occupation from oasis's birth has been as a rock and roll star interestingly enough after the gig at main road uh the home in manchester city he was staying at his mum's house that night they'd been on the road for two years childhood bedroom with peggy gallagher he finishes playing at main road he goes home the following day he goes down to London and buys a £1 million house with Patsy Kensett. So there was no no in-between of him mm-hmm. being a struggling rock star or a roadie or working for the gas board. He just went from unemployed to rock and roll star. And I, I think when you look at Liam now and how he's progressed, who else has done that? Who's been a rock and roll star their entire life? <laughs> he's been a professional rock and roll star since he was 21. There's probably some therapist somewhere in London that's got made thousands of pounds out of Liam Gallagher because of that transition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that is a mind-blown transition. What else can he do? Uh, what else can he, Exactly, what else can he do? And you maybe point to years later when the band splits up. That's how he's probably so desperate for the band to get back together because he doesn't know anything else. I know, that's he, a he, great he, point. He, he, really he really doesn't know anything else. See this, though. 
I love the fact that when they came through, Man City were really rubbish, right? They were rotten, but they wore the colours with pride. They always did. They always banged on about Man City, even when they were absolutely rotten. And obviously they played Main Road, which is the story I told you about. But I love that fact that they didn't hide, that they weren't you know, supporting a, a groovy team because back then it was Man, Man United. It's, it's the thing, thing as well about the Manchester bands. They seem to make music and football linked, whereas before in the 80s it wasn't really linked. That from 1990 onwards, right for New Order, World in Motion. Mm-hmm. Like, then football, Italia 90, the breakout of the English Premier League in 1992, them appearing in 1994. Man, it, Man City uh, jerseys. Football was just cool again. Yeah. Like, that's all it was. I know, and it all happened at that same time where it was being marketed differently as well, Kev. Shaker Maker comes in, first Oasis song I ever heard, right? And I heard it on the chart show. I'm watching it with my dad, right? Mm-hmm. And remember on the chart show, you might not remember it, you will, and it would come up with wee facts and trivia underneath. Mm-hmm. And there was this quote about how Liam had said, we're going to be the biggest band in the world. And I remember saying to my dad, sounds like the new Seekers. They're never going to be the be- biggest band in the world. That was the first time I heard Oasis and I didn't rate them. I get Shocking that. now when I listen back to it. I get it. I think that if you were to get into Oasis for the first time, this was the first track that you heard. I don't think you knew what you were getting yourself into in terms of the rest of their output, you know, the, you, you know, their content in terms of the rock and roll tracks that they do, to me, are a faster tempo, a bit brasher, a bit louder, a bit more punk. And I think this song's quite... I think if you heard this for the first time... It's a bit time, psychedelic, isn't it? It's a bit psychedelic. Could actually, this one may well have drawn in a lot of fans and then when they heard the rest of Oasis's content put them off mm. because they maybe thought there was going to be a lot more Shaker Makers on definitely maybe which I think this song kind of stands alone in the album if I'm honest to you I'd agree um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing we'll come to later um, but I'm glad it wasn't the first Oasis song I heard put it that way well I've written here the, that um, would you agree that Shaker Maker had a psychedelic tinge that wasn't fully explored until Dig Out Your Soul oh that's would a great point that? Yeah, and and I think with the reason Dig Out Your Soul was the commercially sort of, I think, one of the poorest albums. I don't think it was, in terms of singles, it was the first time they were having singles now land outside the top ten, mm. uh, which is astonishing because that was their, what was that, their seventh studio album by then? It was the first time since the first track got in the top ten on Definitely Maybe, which I think was their third single. And then after that, they then had a run of six albums where all the singles made the top ten. And then they went back, as you say to that maybe less commercial... It's not even that a commercial sound Oasis have, but maybe a wee bit further removed from the trademark Oasis sound, Oasis vibe. And before you know it, they're having songs outside the top ten again. Now, perhaps a lot of people could say that is because every band has an expiry date and Oasis were maybe coming to the end of their, their you know, their sort of relevance with the, with the younger generation at that time. But I would also argue that I think... You're right. I think the, psych- the psychedelic side to that "Dig Out Your Soul" is a reason why the singles didn't didn't do as strongly. Mm-hmm. Although I actually think the singles in "Dig Out Your Soul" are good and better than better than the one we're listening to right now. Just as this winds up, Kevin, what's your thoughts on Shaker Maker? And of course, it was a toy that Noel had when he was a kid called a Shaker Maker, and he introduces us to Mister Sifter. <laughs> Product placement. I, I, I always have a special place for this song because this was the first ever song I saw Aces doing live. Mm-hmm. They opened with us at the Cat House in 1994. The Cat House. Um, I love this song. It's as you say, it's very nice. Early 70s, New Seekers, obviously, the, the, Nick, the Nick the Melody line. 
Um, but I think in this one, you can actually see when they were recording Shaker Maker, I think in the Sawmill Studios, they were listening to a lot of the faces. Uh, you Wear It Well album, 1972 album by the Faces, and that was the the, the vibe that they were going for. Mm-hmm. And I think you can hear it in this song that there's a sort of laid back, sort of bluesy type, loose, yeah. loose, loose vibe. The reason that the rest of the album doesn't sound like this was mainly due to the rhythm section, if you listen to the engineers. But I think this goes for the sound that they were actually going for when they started recording, definitely, maybe. Wow. Uh, and natural songs. Uh, I love it. Do you know what album Liam held up in the video? See how he goes to Mr. Sifters and he holds up an album? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to get the name of the album wrong now, but it's a Paul McCartney album. All right. Uh, Cherry Lee Lane or something like that. Right. 1973. That's the album. Nice bit of trivia, Kev. I love this song, love the video, love the fact that they were all wearing gazelles playing football. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What about <laughs> one of them was wearing right. a helmet? Was it ah, Wigsy? Wigsy was here wearing a helmet. Aye. What about the B sides? We'll come to this uh, a wee bit later as well. But do you want to be a spaceman alive and bring it on down? I didn't buy the single until I got into the band, and I got into the band with the next track, which is Live Forever, right? And obviously went back and bought the previous two singles. This band made me buy singles. This was the band that made me start buying singles because I was buying them and you were getting three or four. It's a mini tracks. album. You're buying a mini album. The B sides, Kev. The B sides. James Skelly reckons that you want to be a spaceman's the best Oasis track of all time. I think if when you look at the three B sides on, on and Shaker Maker, just as Love Forever kicks in there, uh, do you want to be a spaceman's a great song, Alive as a demo that they threw away there, and Bring It On Down is just a live version of Bring It On Down. The the uh, the myth or the mythology that they always had great B-sides, didn't they start until forever? These first three singles, there's like acoustic versions, there's live versions, and only and one there's of there's a smattering, there's a smattering of B-sides there. here and there. But by the time that you get to forever, that's when the B-sides... Like every single up. was an EP almost aye, by that stage. Aye, aye. And that, that there you see is Live Forever started, you could tell just by the whistle, eh? That's Live Forever. Comes in, you done your research to such a point you went down to Liverpool to visit John, the, Lennon's, John Lennon's childhood <laughs> house. Tell us a story. It's brilliant. Um, it's just... The house is his aunt Mimi's house and there's a great story about... What was his uncle, George? Uncle George? <laughs> The tour guy only mentioned, only mentioned Aunt Mimi, strangely enough. He went and stayed there because his mum didn't have enough room in, in, the, in the house uh, it's in a very affluent part of Liverpool right. it's not in a working class part of Liverpool the day after John Lennon was shot Yoko Ono bought the house mm-hmm. so then converted it back to the 1950s style on the inside so it would always be preserved for in uh, what John Lennon knew it, knew it was mm-hmm. after that Paul McCartney bought, bought his childhood home in Liverpool as well just a couple of days after that as well. But 
what really blew my mind was you've got John Lennon's house there, nobody staying it, and and you've got an old woman next door out cutting her grass. Mm, so somebody mad. stays next to John John Lennon's house, and I just found that mind. I'm just going to cut in. This is Noel's first proper solo on the yep. album, isn't it? Yep. And it is an absolute belter of a solo. Do you reckon that this epitomises everything that Noel Gallagher does well, this song on this album? There is a version of that song if you put that guitar solo. Is there? Mm-hmm. Wow. I think it's interesting with that. The solo's double this length, eh? And Owen Morris actually dropped it by half because he said it was two slash Guns N' Roses. <laughs> right? So this solo could have been double. I think this solo is what converted... I don't like using the term like Neds, I don't mean Neds, but you know what I mean? Like people that maybe aren't into guitar music into doing doing that when they were out down the park listening to music to someone's ghetto blaster. That solo is the solo that I don't know, just rather than you having to be into guitar music, it was the it transgressed into everyone everyone's type of music, you they know. Call this the crossover song. The crossover, yeah. that's it, aye. Crossover's it's, a good way of putting it. It is a crossover song, Russell, but I don't think there's any coincidence that John Lennon's childhood home is on the front of it because the lyrics are very Lennon solo. They're very uplifting, very hippie mm-hmm. which is outlift the rest of the album. Mm-hmm. It's not in keeping with the mm-hmm. rest of the album. It's like, it's almost imagined type lyrics, like we're going to live forever. It's a hopeful lyrics. But again, there's that theme, Kev, that escapism. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, pitching for greatness, we're going to live mm-hmm. forever. Here's a wee thing from the NME. Um, on the week of release, they describe two ungainly slabs of Thug Boogie, which is supersonic and shaker maker down. Uh, and I had this lot marked down less as a beetle browed saviour of rock and roll and more as the real people for 94. Ooh. Kevin Graham, what do you reckon of that? They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't get a lot of decent press for the NME until round about 94 when McGee got a hold, a hold of them and the, the music press changed. Loaded appeared in April 1994 and the sort of way journalism worked changed as well. Mm. Um, I, I remember reading a lot of terrible reviews in the NME regarding them and but I was always just interested in Liam in a sweater standing there looking like Ian Brown and I'm going, I'll, I'll like that band just be having a look at him. I knew I would, I would like them, and when they started appearing on Radio 1, I just learned to forget what the, the stuck-up snobs at the NME were actually saying about them. Just quickly before we go into the next track, what do you reckon of the video with Tony McCarroll getting buried? The drummer gets buried? It is... It was only meant to quite, be the, the, the drum kit. Quite prophetic. It was meant to be the drum kit that got buried. Right. And no Gallagher quipped, just drop, uh, bury the drummer instead. <laughs> I, I think there's a hidden message there's that there. book kicking about the McCarroll book the only band member to write a book is Tony McCarroll and I would recommend that you give it a read Russell tell me what the title was going to be yes so this is called Oasis the Truth of course it was not meant to be originally called that because No Gallagher's people got a hold of Tony McCarroll's people and gave him a bit of a telling off and banned him from calling it Oasis the truth, the null truth, is nothing like the truth. So there you go, he had to abbreviate it to the truth. Now that gives you an insight into, firstly, someone who's got something to hide, someone who is basically also saying whatever he says, and he admits this in the film Supersonic, whatever he said is probably all true. I admit it, I was a bit of a sea back then, you know? He says it in the, in the Supersonic film. Now, whilst Noel Gallagher is known to do a bit of revisionism as the years have went on, that book was the first, the first sign that Noel's empire of 
PR dominance could actually be built on weaker foundations than we all thought. And I think that book was the first stab at Noel that happened. The following stab being the film Supersonic because mm -hmm. Noel did that thinking he was top of the pops, right? And, he, yeah. and Liam's career had, you know, went to pot. So he just went all in on that film, slagging everyone off, basically self-congratulating himself as to who he is. And before you know it, Liam releases a solo EP. I know we'll get a solo uh, album. I know we'll get to that in other shows, but I think that book is obviously all about the background to how this band form came to be, Oasis, what the actual backstory is to when they're touring that album. And if you actually look at some of the interviews that Noel's done since, he contradicts himself left, right and centre. But Tony McCarroll is a founding member of that band and was kicked out by the last guy to join it. Yeah. That's the, that's the basics. And do you know who sacked him? Liam. Because Noel made Liam do it. So they had a teary moment and Liam had to do the sacking. Do you feel sorry for Tony McCarroll? No. No? No, I do not. Because he wasn't capable of doing what they planned to do in the next album and you, you, so if forth. You, if if you, Tony McCarroll was in one of the greatest bands in Britain for a momentous rise <laughs> in, in, in that occasion. Um, I didn't feel sorry for him. He got his pay. He's made a living off being ex-Oasis drummer since then. Everybody's... There's, there's always three sides of the truth, eh? Yeah. There, there is always three sides of the truth. I like him. I've heard his interviews. I think he's a decent enough chap in that. He's always going to back up his side of the story. There's one thing having a look at the cover of this book. How bad did it actually look? They dressed the next, without a doubt. It's, <laughs> like it's... It's we're, a terrible uh, look. <laughs> we're running probably a song behind at the minute, so we'll jump back to that. Yeah, they did. I thought fashionably. They weren't, they weren't great back then. They were still a wee bit baggy at that stage. Uh, obviously, the checks suddenly started rolling in. But another thing about that book, that blew the non-disclosure agreement out of the water with the real people. Because yeah. there had been a deal by the time that book came out, and the real people started talking about Columbia, etc., which we'll get to. I've got a theory on Up in the Sky, guys. Go for it, mate. And I know that you're going to tell me what Noel reckons the song's about, and he's going to know better than me, seeing how he wrote it. I think this is a love letter to cocaine addiction. How else can you explain how does it feel when you're inside me, right? And also, you go, it's just the case of never breathing out before you're breathing in, right? Yep. Which is obviously a reference to... The sharpened takes of breath. Absolutely. And yep. obviously we know that drugs played a massive part um, in that lad culture, Kev. I was saying as well when we came through, you, you think of the swinging 60s, you yep. think of dope and LSD, you move into the punk era of the 1970s, and it's more amphetamine-based, Manchester, Acid House, it's ecstasy. 1990s, Britpop, which we'll talk about, it was cocaine, Kev. And cocaine was never really the type of drug that was kicking about in housing estates in Fife, and I'm guessing still in, at the stage, it was more of a, a kind of like bourgeois drug. It was more of a celebrity drug. You go, Clinton Boone admits this, that he left the Inspiral Carpets, mainly because the Inspiral Carpets were running out of money, but because of him and Matt Coyle's substance abuse, was actually get, going to get them into ball or trying to go to America. Um, I get where you're coming from there, but I think it's a song about escapism and also it's a political song when he talks about, hey, you with the crown looking down on me. I think, I think there's a big political element in that song as well. There could be. There yeah, could be. Yeah. I always thought it was a working class song aye. saying F you to the upper class. That, definitely. Aye. Well, he talks, if you, if you watch the interview he does in a big armchair on the Live Forever documentary, which is all about Britpop, he talks about how the songs on Definitely Maybe reflected the dirt under the nails of his fingers, which none of these people 
in Parliament, etc., could ever relate to. And he says it doesn't fundamentally. He says fundamentally, you know, when you wake up um, with dirt under your fingernails from the day's shift, the day before, and the pouring rain and all that. He says that fundamentally makes my soul purer than theirs. It's just a fact. So why did he go and uh, drink a wee glass of red well, at 10 Downing Street? Because he's a contrarian. Yes. He's very contradictory, mate. Columbia. First song they ever played Haven't together. It. The original lineup, An instrumental version of this was played. Kevin, we've already mentioned the real people. They were commented in the NME as being the real people for 94. Mm-hmm. Tell us the backstory. The backstory is in 19, No Gallagher met the real people. You're talking about cocaine, that's about cocaine. Columbia, it's the whole, the whole thing. Um, they met, No met the real people in 1992 when he was on tour with Inspiral Carpets. The real people were meant to release an album called Marshmallow Lane in 1992 with CBS and they got dropped. If that album was released, no and the band would never have went to the Real People Studios to record what became the live demonstration tapes. So this song was basically, I think, one of the Griffiths brothers is actually doing the backing vocals on this. Yep. And he actually wrote... Liam, did he write the verses or the, or the chorus? I can't remember, but he did eventually get a songwriting credit. What's really, I find, bizarre now looking back on it about this song... This was played heavily on Radio 1, and it was only a white label demo. Mm. Yep, over uh, 50 times. And so stole my fact. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, mate. That's no, uh, all right. Uh, so this was the, the first... Vers- the version on definitely maybe doesn't include the Griffiths backing vocals. No. This, uh, no, not this one, but the, it was on a B-side. What B-side was it on? Uh, we'll come to that. Supersonic. We'll to that. Yep. The Supersonic was a white label demo. So that did have the, the, the real people in the back of it. And I think Liam, from time to time, if you follow him on Twitter, which I think half the world does, he sometimes speaks about the real people, gives them big kudos in relation to how they assisted Oasis yep. in the early days to get that Wally sound. Because obviously, at that time, they had a, a clutch of songs. They struggled to capture them even after the real people sessions for Definitely Maybe, which we all know was recorded, I think, four times in total. Mm-hmm. So they were struggling to get that sound on tape and the real people helped them. And as you say, they, they started writing it. And he said that uh, when it came to Nebworth, was this the first song at, at Nebworth? And yes. he could hear it and he knew he wasn't going to make a penny from that song mm-hmm. for the rest of his life because obviously he had not been credited for any of his input into that song. He ended up getting a credit on Rockin' Chair. Rockin' Chair as well, yes, he did. Um, I mean, you listen to this, this is a, this is a phenomenal tune. This, is, this is the album getting into its groove. This you know, when you, an album tune. warms up, it might have had its high moments, but now it is just plain sailing. This is when you're, it's coasting now, this album. It's, it's reached a level, right, of greatness we live forever, right? And it's decided it's just staying up there. You know, it's just, this album is cruising by the time you get to Columbia. Mm-hmm. It's got a groove, it's got a vibe, and live has got to be up there. There's a version that they did at the Battlelands on 10 Years of Noise and Confusion, and it's the last time, actually, you ever saw Noel Gallagher sing with a microphone actually parallel to his mouth. You know, he started getting all like, even though he's only like my age now, oh my God, this is all too mental for me now, you know. Uh, but it was the last gig I can remember seeing him with the microphone up there and giving it, giving, giving it loudly, for want of a better expression. And the version of Oasis Columbia at the Barrowlands, 2001, it was on Sky Box Office. I remember it. Sky Box Office, but... That was there. That's maybe another... What song did he dedicate to Alan McCoyst? Oh, I can't mind. Yeah? 
Oh, I can't you know, remember that? No. You remember it? No, I was at the gig, but I can't actually remember it. What, what I think about Columbia, sorry before you tell us that <laughs> I fact. I wasn't going because I can't remember. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the birds. You uh, were counting on me then, eh? Uh, <laughs> Columbia actually sounds like a band that staggered at the, ha- the Hacienda, down to the boardwalk, pressed, record, and came up with that. You know, They're when people talk about buzzing. swagger, oh, that song's got, no, sa- no, that no. Song's got swagger. Oh, um, it's also John Sims' favourite Oasis track. He said, it's a big dance rock monster. It's relentless. It is. I don't, monster. That's, that's the way to describe it. It's an utter monster of a track. <laughs> it is. We will be asking um, at the end of the album, there's a, there's a few different questions I'm going to be asking you. One of the questions is, if you were to drop one album track and replace it with a mm-hmm. B-side, which would it be? And I can confirm so far that none of the album tracks are getting dropped so far. For me, what about your th- yourself? One's down, mate. One's, One's down. down. One down. What about you? No, no, I know yet. And listen, see, what, see as it's playing out and you get the yeah, 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 right? Best bit of the song. Come on, <laughs> come on. How many times was that thereafter used as a filler? Not just by Oasis, but by various guitar bands. Yeah, 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 and come on. This is the first time that we've heard it by Oasis. It just repeats it out and it fades it. I mean, as well, it's six minutes, 17 seconds long. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And it hasn't dropped bass once. It's relentless. It's, it's like a train. You know what I mean? I love it, man. Right, now, um, you've got the DVD there, Supersonic, and this was the band's first single, I've got to admit it. I can't pretend that I was outside our prize buying this. It went completely under my radar, but... When, when I listen back to it, it's one of the greatest Oasis songs of all time. Supersonic, debut single, number 31 in the UK charts. Kev, we talk about Tony McCarroll. Quite a few of these tracks are based on, the, the intros are based on McCarroll and his drums, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. So you think about Live Forever, bring it on down, Supersonic, it's all McCarroll. Or is it? Because Noel Gallagher says he recorded some of the drums. He did actually say that, but the only... Up in the Sky is definitely no playing bass on Up in the Sky because that's playing so, he's playing bass on Up in the Sky. The drums, they don't think, when, when you look, look at all the engineers' notes, he never re-recorded any of the drums uh, for on, on this album. There's a bit of dubiety about what, what, what mixes were actually used. Well, he did record the bass a couple of times and that, but um, Supersonic... This album, you're talking about singles, album versions, that. For me, this is just a performance on the word. This is when yeah, they yeah, yeah. This is just when they made that breakthrough. When they just walked onto that, that word stage and went, we're going to be the biggest Mark band. Mark Lamar hosting. We're, we're going to be the biggest band in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and he's got the stance then, isn't he? Where he's holding the microphone as opposed to, he's not quite advanced into the hands behind the back yet. He's actually leaning into it. It's actually, he's, he's positioning when he's singing it on, the, on that. Uh, performance is very much tells you John Lydon was a huge influence on him. I know as we get later on in Liam Gallagher's career, the John Lennon thing sort of gets almost bizarre, some of the things he's saying about him, but the John Lydon similarities in both vocal 
and stance in the very early performances to me are very striking. You know the Johnny Rotten thing because I know that Alan McGee reckoned that there were a cross between the Beatles and the Pistols. Yep. I actually think, and we'll get to it, I think the best vocal that sounds like Johnny Rotten would be Cigarettes and Alcohol. I think that's the one where I'm listening to it. I can hear John Lydon in that. But um, here's the thing. Lars Ulrich, Metallica, mm-hmm. this is his favourite Oasis song. Yep. And it reminds me of a story that Noel told. They were doing a signing in America. And they were in maybe a, a record store and just signing, moving on, yeah, yeah, signing, yeah. moving on. Who are you wanting to sign to, mate? Lars. Like that knob out of Metallica. He looks up and it's him. He's getting it signed. <laughs> That's right. The one thing I was reading about um, before about uh, this song, this is Noel Gallagher. He says his favourite song on the album, I'm sure he's changed it over many a year, right? But he says the, fa- the reason it's his favourite is because it was real. He says, we literally had to come up with it that day. It was written that day. It was jammed that day. It was recorded that day. Supersonic. And he says it was all done in one day, so... The, re- the reason it was done in that day, Russell, was because Tony McCarroll couldn't get the drums to bring it on down right. That's right. <laughs> that was the reason that they wrote it. That's mad, eh? And he introduces us to another character, so we've already heard about Mr Sifter, right? And we now know about a girl called Elsa. He does this, though, eh? Throughout but do you know who albums. Elsa is? No idea. Right, so when they're recording it, I can't remember the type of dog, and I was trying to remember it, 12-year-old, 12-year-old dog that was on the set that had been running about called Elsa. I promise and, and you. And was the dog into Alka-Seltzer? Because back then, Alka-Seltzer was It had a flatulence problem. Did it? That's what he said. It's got, the dog had a flatulence problem. That's why... You've ruined it for me, mate. Sorry. <laughs> so right. There's, there's no girl called Elsa. <laughs> right, let's talk about the B-sides then. Um, take me away. I will believe Columbia White Label demo, as Kevin said previously. I will believe is a live version. So as far as I know, there's never been a studio version recorded of that no, particular it was a song. Master version when the album came out for mm-hmm. its 20th anniversary. Mm-hmm. What do you reckon of the B sides here? Because Kev, I think you're right. It wasn't up until whatever that you were getting the slabs, the three B sides that were just off the scale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they were shown off by them. You've got a couple <laughs> on the first single. Take Columbia. me away, I will believe. I can remember buying the, the CD single. Take me away is a fantastic B side, but it is a B side. Mm-hmm. But just having that Columbia white demo and it just made this a must have. Yeah. <laughs> because I can remember going supersonic Columbia, supersonic Columbia, mm-hmm. all, all the time. I will believe when you listen back to it now, you can realise why early it, early tracking it. You yeah. can you can realise why it's never came out of that demo form. Yeah. But it does actually sound like the faces again. And I think the faces are some... You say, as McGee says, they were between the Beatles and Oasis, uh, the Beatles and the Sex Pistols. I think the problem was, like a lot of good bands, they weren't as good as the Beatles. And that's how they ended up sounding the way that they sound. Hmm. Like like the Who and the Rolling Stones were just poor uh, blues bands. And that's how they ended up sounding like they sounded like. You know, um, when, when you look at that Beatles obsession, I think there's only really one moment that stands out really obviously as being a Beatles moment on this album. I don't think, it, I ever listen to this album and think they're inspired or influenced by the Beatles except for one moment, which I'll come to later mm-hmm. on. What's your thoughts on that? Because they were banging on about the Beatles, the inlay definitely maybe, uh, Liam's wearing a Beatles t-shirt, but I didn't ever see the Beatles influence. Nah, never got it when I was young. I never, I wasn't the biggest Beatles fan when I was young. It wasn't like they were a soundtrack in my house growing up. You know how you kind of, you like what the soundtrack is that your, your dad's listening to, your mum's listening to, or they both are, whatever. So I never really got the, the Beatles connotation. And I remember buying the Beatles 1, the Red Album, 
you know, you know, two seed. I liked it in that, but I was always like, this is a bit happy. I was when like, I to Oasis, why, why strawberry feels not it? Yeah, when I was when I was listening, to, when I was listening to Oasis, you know, particularly that age, like early teens, it was music that made me want to punch someone in the face. You know, it wouldn't be very sore, like, but you know, it was. That's what it did. It brought out the aggression in you, you know, in a good way, like channeled aggression. You know, that music hadn't really done for me before. I mean, I compared that with the Beatles. I was like. I love you, you love me. I can't hear any of that on Def Lake, maybe. You know, and this song again, two of the last three, brought to my attention. This, you know, just so simple, but just that pick slide up the guitar, down the guitar, yep. whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's so effective on both tracks, especially live. There are moments you look out for. The supersonic one's very slowly done mm-hmm. and creates a mad sound. And then on this one, it's, you know the song's going to kick in. It's just, wee things like that are clever. Whose guitar appeared on the front cover of Supersonic, sitting on the floor, black and white guitar? Who did it belong oh. to? Johnny Marr. Johnny Marr. Yeah, yeah, because it got broke at a gig in 1994. There you go. Bring it on down. We haven't even mentioned it. Bring True. it on down, right? So when I listen to this, for me, the drum intro reminds me of Joy Division. The bit that we're listening to right now, right that, now, that right? for me is Joy Division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Martin Hannett. Do you think that's a sound they would go for? Um... Maybe no. It might be unintentionally. It might be unintentional. This could be one of those things that because McCarroll's doing it, it's actually worked. You know, I think sometimes the sound that McCarroll brings Lift to the over, album. You think drums? Would that actually sounded like that with a better drummer? I'm not convinced. Sometimes, you know. Well, well, I think you mentioned the Beatles influence and all that. I mean, this is a this is a very very political song. The lyrics in this. You're the underclass. Yeah. underclass. Mm-hmm. It's extremely political. That's overlooked with Noel Gallagher quite a lot of times, especially on this album. He makes comments, he does make political comments. You mentioned the Beatles. I think the problem, I, I, for me, the, the album was recorded three times and Owen Morris saved basically poor recordings because they tried to sound like the Beatles and failed. Mm. And they could never get, mm. I mean, there's, there's like, you hear a couple of versions and they're a lot lighter and they're a lot hungry. Owen Morris has basically took the tapes, matched it, matched it together, compressed it, added a whole load of effects, made the bass playing better, made the drumming better, added effects, timed it all right that they couldn't get in the basic recordings. So for me, it's a triumph to the band, but it's also a triumph to Owen Morris, to, that he actually yeah. got it sounding like this. Mm. He, he's got this album sounding like throwing out time in an army that, That's what it sounds like. It's just chaos everywhere. And that's that was Oasis live shows. But... Hindsight, and you can go back and see, listen to all the demos, they didn't sound anything like that. Live. No, they didn't. The appearance on the word they did, they're live. They couldn't capture it. They couldn't capture it. In in the studio. And obviously one of the lyrics of this song is blur, right? So let's talk about Britpop. When did Britpop start, Kevin? Twister Ella Ride, 1992. 92. Graham Coxon reckons pop scene, 1992. Uh, So around about the same time. You're talking about the. I think most folk will probably say Swed, but I think Ride releasing Twister L, which had a very, very big Who influence, mm. kind of kicked that on. Uh, but it's more folk more intelligent than me who write. Who for, coined it? Was it the enemy or Loaded? Stuart McConey. Right. He coined it in Select. Right. And which Oasis, was, the mon- was that the monthly? The, the enemy monthly. monthly, yeah. And Oasis weren't included in it. It was Pulp, Plastic, and Blur, and Swed. And it says, look out America, the Brits are coming in. Yeah, 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 I have seen that cover. And and, and he coined the term Britpop and that. It's Brit Anderson, the front cover of that, isn't it? I think so. Look out America, and he looks quite androgynous, you know? Yeah. Which is a different... Which, again, 
shows the different sort of sides to what Britpop was. There was, you know, the sort of the charm and the good looks of a Damon Albarn who could realistically have been in a boy band, you know, he had that sort of look about him that he was, you know, he was a poster boy. Then you had the sort of rough and ready Oasis or whatever. And then you had like guys like Jarvis Cocker, Brett Anderson, who I think were, you know, very comfortable with their feminine side, do you know what I mean? Which is a complete clash as to what maybe a band like Oasis were, for example. And Wait, Oasis didn't they fit? What because they wanted that kind of duality of the Stones and the Beatles. They wanted Oasis Blur. They wanted the North and South. Yeah. So that they could sell more magazines. So then, obviously, in Ockham, they sold more records. See, just touching on what you said. There, here's the biggest question: Are Oasis part of Britpop? Is that a Britpop album? In, no in chance. Your opinion? No. No chance. It always appear in the lists, but I don't listen to that and think. I think it's a rock and roll record. I don't think Britpop. I, no. I don't think pop in the slightest. No. They were captured up in that sort of nostalgia uh, because they saw the Union Jack as a mod symbol, rather, and they used the Union Jack, no main road with a Union Jack guitar, the fact that the boardwalk they had a Union Jack behind them, mm. and it's been claimed numerous times they didn't see it as a political symbol, they just saw it was a mod thing. It was the mod thing for and, and you're This like, is the tambourine You've also... You, You've, there we go. <laughs> you've also got like the early demo tapes where the the Union Jack gone down the plug hole. Yep. And Liam live demonstration. Uh, and Liam in early interviews. I had the t-shirt with the Union. I didn't realise it was Union Jack when I bought it at the cat house. It's uh, all coming out now. <laughs> I didn't realise it. Uh, I was just so blown back to actually seeing what the band I knew it was going to be the biggest band in Britain in mm -hmm. such a wee venue. And what Liam actually says about the Union Jack going down the plug hole, he says, aye, this country's going down the plug hole and we're here to save it. That, that is, he says that right at the start. I like that. Cigarettes and alcohol, right? Yep. See, when we look at that, I remember going into maybe Asda or Tesco and the cassette single was in a cigarette box. Can you remember that? No, no. Aye, aye. Aye. So you ended up not only just buying singles, but multi-format singles because Oasis were so, when it came to marketing, it was in a fag box. You opened it up and the cassette was it's inside. Unbelievable. Front cover of it, can you, do you know the story? It, it looks like maybe an after gig party in yes. a hotel room, eh? Total setup. Aye. One of the girls is a Creation Records um, employee. The other guy's Tim Abbott. Tim Abbott. Marketing at Creation. They just Aye. made it look like it was a party. Very good. And the reason Liam's on the ground is because he'd done his ankle jumping off the tour bus in Sweden. <laughs> they were over doing a festival with the Verve maybe the week before. So he's sitting on the floor because he's got a sore leg. I've banged on about the political aspect of this album, but to find yourself a job when there's nothing worth working for is up there with a political statement that, that the Manic Street Preachers have tried to make for years. Mm -hmm. And it's so simple and it's so to the point. And again, it's just that utter escapism. And for the fact is... They're so blatant and arrogant to steal the riff for T-Rex. Well, that's... Yeah. <laughs> like, just go, I we're going to do this and we didn't care. And they never got done for it. They no. never, ever got done for it. There's only ever been two lawsuits against Noel Gallagher. T-Rex stole it for a blues album as well, eh? So By the way, before we move on to the next, the next uh, song, right, I'm looking at the similarities of this handing down the baton, right? So there was an NME report and they were talking about how the baton had already been passed on from the Smiths to the Roses. Mm. And then it's widely regarded that it was thereafter passed down to Oasis. And there's a moment where um, Ian Brown has listened to the Radio 1 session the night before whilst he's recording Second Coming. And he listens to this song and he, he likes it. 
the following day because Oasis are also in the area because they're in Mono Valley yeah. recording definitely maybe Ian Brown's just came out of W. H. Smith and Liam and Noel are walking down the street so they literally bump into each other Ian Brown bigs them up and says it's about effing time almost as if it's time to pass the baton um, do you think the, the fact that the Roses were taking so long to release that record made guys like you and me want a band like Oasis? I, it was just the timing of it. I don't think they were given the baton. He took it, that's they what Noel says, baton. aye. He took it. He took the baton, they were dithering. The Stone Roses lost their nerve. It's that simple. And they lost their nerve when they came back ten years ago as well. So they've got, it's a trait now, you can't say it was, oh, it was just that album. When they came back, you know, ten years ago, they did the exact same thing, so... They lost their nerve, and the Oasis... Oasis just took the baton because they were taking charge anyway. It's awfully nice for it to be a narrative that it was passed to them. Definitely, maybe, it was always going to be bigger than what the second coming was, in my opinion, because the second coming was too delayed from the, the Stone Roses initial album, you know? That was, the, that was the problem. There was too long, too big a gap for... Even if the second coming had been better than what it was, I just think you've lost that moment, you know, you've lost... You look how quickly Morning Glory comes out after Definitely Maybe and what happens after that, Nebworth. That's what I would contrast and compare. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look Don't... at Spike Island, yep. Gwigs was there, Bonehead was there, Noel was there, first band Liam ever seen live yep. was the Stone Roses. So influential, so pivotal. Yep. So when I hear about, you know, the Beatles' influence on Oasis, I think, where? They might have liked them, but the Roses had a massive influence on them. The real people and the Inspirals. You, you cannot forget the Inspirals no. because, yeah, no Gallagher, and I didn't mean sound here, by the way, but no Gallagher was the roadie. But Bonehead and, and Liam were part of that as well. They would also go, we know, when they were playing local gigs. It's, it's learning the craft. It's learning Bonehead how would, to, would drive the van. No, it's, it's learning how to make something sound big life. Because that's him and Coyley were the, the two engineers. Um, what Russell's mentioning there about the, the Roses, I sort of disagree that the baton wasn't passed over. Uh, the, the bottom line is the Roses went into whatever it was, and like legal dispute. <laughs> Rennie, want, Len, Len, Rennie wanted to chuck it, fired a whole load of money. But Oasis had that moment as well, just before, just after Definitely Maybe comes out, when Noel disappears in America. Oh, yeah. But he took the full, he took the full, uh, the grand, the, the, the full, full rider, aye, eh? took all the band's money. Basically at that moment, there, there's a sliding doors moment there. If he would have chucked it then, there were just another Manchester band who actually couldn't handle it. He couldn't chuck it though, and we'll talk about that, he couldn't, right. he couldn't chuck it, because this was, he was in the last chance saloon. He'd already tried to be a rock and roll star by auditioning for the Inspiral Carpets, and Clint Boone spoke to us about that as well, Kev. Sorry to interrupt everybody. Slide away. You know, if Live Forever was Noel's moment on this record, this is Liam's moment. But interestingly, it was Dave Batchelor's production, mm -hmm. and it does sound like a completely standalone sound on the album. How did this one work and all the rest of the album? Didn't it work, Kev? It's cleaner, eh? It is far cleaner. I, I often wonder why. When the only Owen, one that, that. When Owen Morris got that tape, he yep. not touching that. No. That's fine. Whether the band of when. No, that's what fine. a vocal! It's the vocal I think so has not been touched. Aye, I think that's why I think Owen Morris is, is very like he's savvy, eh? and he's heard Liam's vocal on that way. Oh, just leave Can't that as it. it is. Cannot better it. Now, my point on Slideway is it's obviously a prominent song in Liam's set set list now, which is obviously X amount of years later, twenty seven years on. He's singing Slideway live to a crowd, an audience of 18, 19 year olds who are all singing along the words. Now. 
a lot of them won't know what singles Oasis released on their first album, right? Or the sur whatever album Slideways even on. But I think if you did a survey of the, say the fans coming out to transmit, right? And you got a survey of all the under 25 year olds who were there to see Liam Gallagher and went, Slideway, was it a single or was it not? I think they'd all say it was. They'd be astonished that it wasn't. They'd be astonished it wasn't. If you, Where did it appear? There was a brilliant vote on the Live Forever forum. Right. And they basically put every Oasis track, every Liam track, every No track, and they've got a top 100. It must be in the top 10. Off easy days. Must be in the top easy. 10. By the way, we completely skipped Diggsy's Dinner, right? Which was misprinted to the American market as Diggsy's Diner. Yep. You know that Diggsy was the singer out of Smaller, the band Smaller, who had an album called If. And he's the third character on the album that we've been introduced to along with uh, Elsa, who likes Alka Seltzer and Mr. Sifter. I love the fact it does it, and he continues it throughout the later albums. Um, what do you think of the tune, though? Because I'm looking at it thinking it's almost an interlude. It's almost a bridge to slide away, right? Yes. But then it gives us these could be the best days of our lives, but I don't think we've been living very wise, which is one of the best lyrics on the album. Yeah, that's it gets that song away with it. <laughs> but you know that song all started from a jam, wasn't it? And they had their scouser mate in the, in the studio, and they're all just, they'd all been at the pub all night, doing whatever. And Noel's actually, I think, I think it's Liam, sorry, he's on the drums. And this scouser guy's got a microphone in his hand, and Noel's just hitting the guitar, whatever. And he goes, what did I have for my tea? What did I have for my tea? It was lasagna! It was lasagna! And that's where, uh, he's called Digsy, sorry, the guy, the scouser guy. And obviously. it gets mentioned again on album number three. Mad, eh? Eh? He must love it, eh? The jokes remind me of Diggsies. Um, slide away, Nicky Wire's favourite Oasis track, he says, there's a bruised melancholia to Slide Away. For me, it's the dark sister to live forever. Kevin, what's your thoughts? It suits Dave Batchelor's lightest, lighter touch, I think, when you actually look back yep. on it. I can't picture any other songs on the album apart from Live Forever sounding good with this production. Again, that's hopeful mm -hmm. lyrics. It's a magnificent vocal for Liam. Unbelievable. Absolutely magnificent but they wanted vocal. to push it out as a fifth single. We yep. were talking about that earlier. And, says, and no. Noel refused. Once, ag once again, Noel's playing bass on this. Is wow. If, if they had pushed it out, because there's, there's going to be a couple of standalone singles we're going to miss here because we're doing the albums, had they pushed it out as the fifth single, would whatever have appeared on Morning Glory or would it not have fitted? Uh, well, no, it wouldn't have fitted on Morning Glory, but... Noel's notebook was sold at Christie's about a decade ago and it was like a plan for Oasis and he had wrote it all out and whatever was undefinitely maybe. Was it? Yes. Slide Away wasn't. Fade Away was on instead of Slide Away. See when Liam gets interviewed. So this begs the question, when was whatever actually recorded? When Liam gets interviewed in this edition of the NME where they've gone over to do their first gig in New York, yep. which is part of the music conference that was set up by Tony Wilson, the Factory Records. He gets interviewed and he's talking about whatever in that magazine. So they already had it. He says it's going to be great. It's coming out at Christmas, orchestra, the whole lot. So there's a decision there not to put it on the album. Mm -hmm. it's, can I picture this album ending with whatever as no HUD in that notebook? Can I, can I picture it replacing Slide Away or coming next after Slide Away? Not you. at all. No, I get Not that. Not at all. But my point is, this is the crescendo. There shouldn't be anything after this. Slide Away should be the end of the album. I think that's a good shout. That, that's my point that I would And make. do you know what I like about this song, right? Remember we were talking about the crossover effect? This song was the crossover, and I don't mean this in the, the wrong way, but back then, I don't think... You've, this is what got girls listening to Oasis as well. 
this is a love song that you wouldn't believe and I think that has opened it up to them being now almost a, you know, there's a sensitive side to Oasis that comes out in this, particularly Liam with that vocal. Is it a brotherly love? Ooh! I think, I think he's singing it about a girl like... Because that's one of the most alluring things about Oasis is yeah. that dynamic between Liam and Noel and you think about the the house and the, the family dynamic that they came from with the mum and dad from Ireland mm -hmm. coming over to Manchester he's an abusive father he beats up Noel Paul and Peggy they flee the house it's a broken home mm -hmm. right they're both on the dole there is a brotherly bond to this day of course there is but back then you're listening to some of the, lyric, the, the lyrics um, and you know something like uh, we're two of a kind, we'll find a way. That could be about your relationship with your girlfriend, or it could be a brotherly relationship. I've definitely never sang it about my brother. Have you not? <laughs> when Liam's singing it, doing that mic, do you think he's maybe singing it about his brother? Of course, of course he is. <laughs> of course he is. He was talking about the anger, Kevin. The anger that his broken home put inside him, and the frustration and all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And Every time he approaches that mic, he just unloads it into the mic um, so that anger and everything he's channeling it into the energy but I think people just construe them as being arrogant yep. but there's a massive backstory to that isn't there is it arrogance or is it self-conscious self-confidence is, uh, is, is it just like I'm going to front this up I'm going to be an exaggerated character see I don't want to hear this after slide away I'm done I'm spent slide no, away is the crescendo I didn't want it to come right back down to this and fair. I've always felt that from the very the first time I bought this album was on cassette. This is uh, a bonus track, eh? See if it was like the album, right? I know it's not like really, a hidden track, see unnamed. If, see if it was like you just you just left the CD playing right by accident after the track final 99. song, and it comes after like thirty minutes. You know, another song comes on. It could be this. this that could that would have worked better than it this, being track eleven. This is the Beatles' influence, ain't it? The Beatles like dropping in a wee acoustic song at the end. They, of they want. I think there was maybe for the first couple of albums he wanted like an octopus's garden a yellow submarine didn't he and you got it with this and to a lesser degree maybe she's electric on the yes. second LP yes. I don't think it works I just think you're, you're there in terms of your energy and this just brings it right down I don't think it's a great song either no I do do you? I love this song I really do love Married With Children I remember the version they'd done at done at the Barrowlands uh, 27th of December 1994 um, and they'd done a full band version and it was superb. Oh, but yeah, that could be all right. I and, get and, that. And, and, and it was absolutely superb. And I love, I love it that they've took you for slide away and they've dropped you back into a sort of melancholy world and went, this is a different side of us. We're, we're just going to ease you out of this utter chaos. Yeah, it's almost like this is like the warm down. Aye. You know, when you, when you play the game of football, you've got to go back in the pitch and do a warm down. It's almost like those 10 songs have blown your mind that much that this has to be there at the end. This you is get, your breather. This is you just to unwind and calm down, you know? It's are you, got, are you, getting the, you getting the vibe that maybe the album track I'm going to be dropping here is this one? <laughs> are you getting that vibe? <laughs> I, I, I think as well that it was recorded in Mark Coyle's bedroom. And I also think this could be Noel sending a message to everybody. I've done the album. This is my wee message to you. For everybody that's doubted me over the years. I've got, a, I've got, this is my full stop at the end of this album. Do you know what he says about it? He says it's what his girlfriend, when he was playing, he was recording it. Actually, he's, her name's quoted somewhere in one of his interviews. Louise Jones. Aye. 
Wow. And apparently that's what she used to shout through, you know what I mean? When he was playing in the living room, your, your music I, shout I, keeps I, me up all night. I, I, think I think it's quite ironic when yeah. I, I'm talking about this particular song. But see, when, <laughs> <laughs> when, when we're talking about that, that brotherly relationship yeah. between Liam and Noel, and you, you consider what Kevin was saying about them nicking the rider, and this was after the, the New York gig, it was Whiskey A Go Go, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And uh, the band was strung out on, there's various reports, it's either PCP or, or uh, Crystal Meth, right? And Noel basically just went AWOL, ended up at some girls in San Francisco his plan with a grand, right? He, he had to go back. He was in the Last Chance Saloon. And we spoke to Clint Boone about him rehearsing for Inspiral Carpets when the original singer left yep. and he failed the rehearsal. He yep. knew that this was the last row of dice. There's no way he wasn't coming back at that stage. There wasn't any way that he was coming back, but I think also the Whiskey A Go Go gig. They were on tour in America. He comes back, they continue the tour. They, they then go to a recording studio in Austin, Texas, and they record Half a World Away and Good To Be Free and talk tonight I kind of think they recorded another one as well mm-hmm. and, they, and he comes back with that and I think at that point that was when Tony McCarroll was going to get sacked when Noel comes back with us we're, we're going to be the biggest band in the world but I can't do it we use wanting to mess it up for me mm-hmm. and I think that was when the, possibly the more controlling side of Noel's maybe appeared I generally think he just he'd met a a girl that he was mad for, right? And I think he's used so nothing he'd seen that night he hadn't seen before. And I think he just used it as an excuse to bump the rider because it was the only way he could afford to jet back to see her. I mean, what's the chances back then? No mobile phones or that, and he manages to rock up to her address. There was also there was also the thing that in the February um, with the the ferry to Amsterdam, where the whole band bar no gets banned from the Netherlands from entering yeah. the country. That was their first overseas gig. And no seen their unprofessionalism and he's done it again, so it's maybe just a jag. It's just a warning. He's 21 years old, they're just having a He's kid. a professional rock and roll star. 21 years old, because he's just been paid off and he's got £3,000 in cash in his pocket. Oh. What else are you meant to do on a ferry at Amsterdam? I totally get the cows, cows coming. <laughs> no, I'm good like, with you guys. <laughs> like, but they did steal the shampoos, didn't but they? But there's quite a few coincidences, though, eh? The coincidence is Creation Records had sent a photographer to Amsterdam. There's a lot of coincidences, though, Kev. Yes, there is. There, yeah, there, there, there King is a, Tots. There, there is an awful lot of coincidences mm, yeah. here. But, <laughs> and also, if we go back to the the talk tonight, whoever that song is about, well, they've never actually says who it is, mm-hmm. because the rumour is she is quite a famous person. Is that right? Yes. Wow. But, Even but, more reason why he went back. But, we're moving in. <laughs> we're moving into the territory at the end of the album, right, where yep. I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions. And the first section of this is called What's the Story, right? So I'm just going to ask you the question. You answer it as That's you it. see fit. Um, you're here on your own. Who are you going to find to blame? Kev. Kev, can I ride with you in your BMW? I would rather have a Mercedes. Russell, this is confusion. Am I confusing you? Uh, I was born confused, mate. Kev, you can have it all, but how much do you want it? Eh, yeah, but... It depends. <laughs> <laughs> depends. That's the best answer. Russell, is it worth aggravation to find yourself a job when there's nothing worth working for? Uh, absolutely not. The next episode. But the one-track jukebox, definitely, maybe one track. What's your track? Um, well, because it's a jukebox, I know a thing or two about jukeboxes, Paul. And say you're going in a random pub, right? So you're go- you're going to the good mixer, right? And you're in Camden, right? 
and there's a jukebox, there is a jukebox in the good mixer, right? So obviously I'm used old pub, you've got to make a statement. Play rock and roll star. Rock and roll star. Let them know you've arrived. Let them know that, see that when they're all judging you from behind your back, and they're like, what's he going to play, you know? Casual goo goo. You just hit rock and roll star and let them know that you're there. Kev? Um, it's a one track jukebox definitely maybe what's your song cigarettes and alcohol because a political statement still stands today brilliant well done live forever because it was the first Oasis record that I actually physically bought so that's the one I would uh, play without definitely maybe Russell there would be no no uh, no long hair for me Kev Richard Ashcroft oh great answer do you think Mm-hmm. That was you know self indulgent then. You've just had a belter of an answer. Yeah, I was going to say Las Vegas. There would be no Las Vegas, but what maybe, I mean by that is there's a huge amount of bands like Las Vegas and The View who were brought up on this album in, in Morning Glory who went out and picked up guitars and started mm-hmm. writing well, songs. Well, I think Kasabian would fall in that bracket yeah, as well. Definitely. Well, I Swap. would argue Kasabian or Mayor Primal Screen. I, I would, I would think so. No, Exterminator. No. Well, no, I get that as well. But no. if you watch interviews with them, they're. Aye. Aye. They, they, they were maybe it's what got them into music. Aye, they were Oasis. Not how they progressed their sound. Aye. But I think definitely the reason they picked up guitars. You're right. Do you know, do you know, do you know what song it was though that made them pick up a guitar? I can't remember. Listen up. Interesting. Swap one LP track for a B side and tell me why. So I would take out Shaker Maker. You're a sick man. It doesn't belong. It, it doesn't belong in the album, and I would bring in Fade Away. I Good replacement. I think it fits the album better. I can't believe Married with Children's still on your album, Russell. Kevin? Um, I would take out Diggsy's Dinner. Utter tosh should be thrown in the bin <laughs> and set on fire. Say what you think, Kevin. Um, and I would bring in... It's either Fade Away or Listen Up, but I'm going to go for Listen Up because I think it would fit in the album better. But Fade Away is... I wanted to chuck it too. Uh, but if uh, I'll go listen up, and you're going for the B-side version of Fade Away, not the Help album version. I'm also going for Fade Away, and Married with Children's getting dropped because I think Fade Away, when you listen to it, you just you know you could fit that into it the album. It. it wouldn't be the last track, by the way. It's got to be Slide Away as the last I track. I think the funny thing is, see that see like Listen Up and Fade Away. The amazing thing about the two the two songs we've came up with between the three of us is, I also love them stripped back, right? You know, you think of uh, Knowles did the Teenage Cancer Trust gig no, in like, two thousand. Uh, what a gig! Aye. And those two songs were the standout songs, and they're both so dreamy in the acoustic guitar. Now playing Devil's Advocate, for if I concede, married with the children to you, you could bring in one of those as the acoustic version instead, because it would be more, more like it'd the be like. A, it'd be easy just to Aye. slot in. Um, top lyric from the LP. I live my life for the stars that shine. People say it's just a waste of time. To find yourself a job when there's nothing worth living for, eh, working for. I think you're the same as me. We see things we'll never see. You live forever. Because you could sing that about your best mate, your brother, yeah. your kid, whatever it might be. Best rip-off from the album? Um, best rip-off has to be cigarettes and alcohol. Get it on, T-Rex. Yeah. Agreed. Kev? That's the worst. The new Seekers, man. <laughs> no it's, Gallagher. It's, it's, on, it's only because I remember that Coca-Cola advert. Yeah. And it was so dreamy and it was so California and like the sun and all that. And you actually hear it done with five guys from Burnage and Manchester. I get you. <laughs> it's like quite... Aye, by the way... 500 grand that cost me. 
Well, you know the the actual lyric was going to stay until the last minute, the, and the, then they changed their mind and the, they removed it. There is a demo version of it with the actual original lyric, mm -hmm. and I'm sure they probably done it on a Radio One live session when they sung the "I'd Like to Teach the World to Sing." Mm -hmm. But they've done the same with um, whatever all the young dudes, all the young dudes, aye? yeah, changed it uh, to all the young blues. That, That's right. That disappeared as well. And uh, the song that should have been a single, Russell Boyce. Slide away, it's got to be, I think, for me, Slide away would have been a far stronger single than Shaker Maker anyway, but it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been my second single, I think Slide away would have been the one that would have been once the album was out, That's because I think, you know, the first three singles, whilst I would take out Shaker Maker, I would just shuffle them all down a wee bit, and bring out Slide away once the album's out, and then people who are questioning whether to get the album or not, that is so far removed from the other three singles that... They'll buy it. What's utterly bizarre about that, though, Russell, is the album version of Slide Away appeared on the B-side of whatever. So it was almost as if there was a concession. Right, we'll release Slide Away on the B-side of whatever. Mm. That's interesting. So, 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 so it kind of becomes a double A-side. A double A-side. Double A um, I would have liked Bring It On Down and Supersonic to be a double A-side. Mm. You like have, your parallel universes, Kev. I, I do, I'll I give I you do. that. <laughs> uh, I, I mean... I like Bring It On Down, it would have been a massive statement. It would have been a completely different statement for what Supersonic was. Because mm -hmm. Supersonic, you've got the nonsensical lyrics and like Alka-Seltzer about the dogs and stuff like that. Sure. Then you've got Bring It On Down, which is such a powerful like social comment and record. It's just, I often wonder if it would have been different if that would have been the first single, how they were perceived and he had never wrote Supersonic. Everything would have been different. If you make these changes, the whole thing would have been different. We might not even have been doing this live, listening along or listening party. And finally, just to pick up on that, yes, slide away would be my single as well. Yep. Marks out of 10 for definitely maybe Russell Boyce. Nine. Nine. Nine for me. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. <laughs> this was the first Oasis album club. We are going through the entire discography of Oasis, Liam and Noel. Um, get subscribing on the YouTube channel if you like your music content. We put out an unplugged session every single Saturday night. Uh, we also go to festivals and we interview uh, people, Kevin and I, We'll be heading down in a week down to Manchester to interview mm -hmm. somebody who might be in this NME magazine. Um, so thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Network.